you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. This morning I want to ask you to take a copy of God's Word, however you access that whether you access that on an app with your phone or, or you've got a Bible in your hand like I do. And uh, you can go to Luke chapter 15. The verses are going to be on the screen as well. And uh, Luke chapter 15, if you find verse 25 for me, and when you do that, if you don't mind, standing up, and we are going to read God's Word together this morning. And we're going to pick up in Luke 15. And we're going to read from verses 25 through 32. And uh, if you're new with us, we like to do this just because we want to honor the reading of the Word of God together. So in Luke 15 and verse 25, it reads, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that I have is, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this is your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Father God, we thank you for the love that you show us. Father, we have sung about your grace this morning. Uh, Father, blessings we do not deserve that you have given us. Father, we see your mercy within this text. And Father, I just pray this morning that as we hear your word, that we learn not to base our relationship with you on our merit, but Father, on your mercy. And so Father, help us today to understand your love that you have for us. And Father, help us to uh, find ways to continue to extend that love out to others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You can answer this question silently to yourself, but does God love you? Does God love you? Now, some of you immediately are going to say, sure, God loves me. Why would he not love me? Right? I mean, I'm good. I'm moral. I'm not like the people I see on TV that have committed crimes. You know, I I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible. Yeah, what's not there to love about me? Yes, God loves me. There may be some of you that, though, if I ask you the question, does God love you? You say, well, I I don't know. I mean, I've done wrong things in my life. I've been bad. I've done things I'm not proud of. And if God only knew all the things I've done, there's no way he would love someone like me. And so, you know, we're, we're finishing up this series, just this little quick two-week series. So if you missed last week, you can catch it up on the, on the podcast by going to our website. Because we've been talking about the love of God through Luke chapter 15 and answering that question, does God love me? And last week we saw 
within this story that Jesus is telling, really three things happen. There is a shepherd that lost one of his sheep, and he did everything he possibly could do to find the sheep. When he found the sheep, there was much rejoicing. Then there was a woman who had ten coins. She lost one of the coins when uh, she found one of the coins. She did everything she could. She didn't settle and say, oh, well, I still have nine more. No, she wanted to find that coin. When she found that coin, there was much rejoicing. But then there was a father that had two sons. One of the younger sons goes prodigal. He goes out. He uh, lives his life in a wasteful way and blows all of his money. He comes home, and when he comes home, the father forgives him, loves him, restores him, and there's much rejoicing. But to understand Luke 15, we need to also back up and reset the context of what's happening here. And so let's go to verses 1 and 2 in, in Luke 15. And look at who Jesus is telling the story to. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They were all drawing near to Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus has been making it a habit of having fellowship relationship with tax collectors and sinners, eating with them, sharing a meal with them. Now, tax collectors are Jews who collect taxes from other Jews, and then they pass it on to the Roman government. So these are despised people in the Jews' mind. Sinners are going to be just that, people who sin. But according to the Pharisees, these are more of the lowest of the low of the sinners. These are the really bad people, right? And so now they're eating with Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes are saying, whoa, 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 hang on. You claim to be God in the flesh. And why in the world would God hang out with those people? Why is God not hanging out with us? Jesus, why are you not bringing us into your fellowship? Why are you not eating with us? We're the good moral people. Why would God in the flesh be with these folks? Why do you not love us? Why do you struggle like the Pharisees would struggle with this? Why do you struggle with loving people different than you? Because when Jesus tells this story, he's aiming it right at the Pharisees. And when you pick up in verse 25, you see that the, son, the older son has been out in the field. Now, we don't know why he's out in the field. Jesus puts him out in the field in the story. But he comes home, verse 25 says, and he draws near to the house. And what does he hear? Music and dancing. Verse 26 says he calls to one of his servants. And he asks him what this means. And notice what the servant says to him. He says, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Now, if you're the older brother in the story, what's your reaction to this? What are you thinking? I mean, you, you've been out in the field. I mean, let's, let's just say maybe he's, he's out there doing his job. He's out there working. He's come home from a long day of work. There's a party going on. Now, he's probably not had time to check Facebook or his text messages, so he didn't get the e-invite. But he walks up, what, what's happening? And the servant says, well, your, your son's back. See, remember what had happened in the story is the younger son had come to his father. 
He says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I mean, he made a shocking request. Essentially, what he said is, Dad, you're as good as dead in my eyes. Dad, I, I want my stuff from you, but I don't want you. We said, that's the very essence of sin. See, the very essence of sin is saying, God, I want you to bless me, but I don't want you. God, I want, a relation, you know, I, I want my prayers answered, but I don't want a relationship with you. That, that's sin. Saying, God, I'm going to enjoy all of creation. I'm going to enjoy the days you made for me. I'm going to enjoy everything you give me. But Lord, I don't want you. That's what the younger son's saying. So dad, just give me what's coming to me when you die, because you're already dead in my eyes. Now, the text shocks us in this story because Jesus said the father divided his estate among them. He gave two-thirds to the older brother and a third to the younger son. Now, the, the younger one went off and went into the far country, went into Gentile territory, wasted all the money with prodigal living, wasteful living. He was out of a job. He's out of money. He finds a Gentile to work with. Again, something very shameful for Jews. He is broke, there's a famine, and he knows the only hope I have is to go home and hope my dad will show me mercy. That's it. That's my only shot. So he's going back home, ready to renounce all of his sonship, ready to work as a hired servant of his father, hoping to pay off this debt. And what did the dad do? The dad received him. The dad forgave him. The dad restored him. The dad loved him. The dad celebrated that his son was back. And we said that's a picture of what happens when you come to Jesus Christ with your sin. When you come to Christ with your sin and you confess that and said, I've done wrong and I'm just putting myself at your mercy. Jesus forgives you. Jesus restores you back into fellowship. Jesus celebrates that you have come back and he loves you. And so that's what's happened. And now the older son finds out that he's back and there's a party. And what does the text say in verse 28 of his emotions? But he was angry and refused to go in. I wonder how many of you this morning associate with this older brother. Because maybe you've had a sibling do this. Maybe you had a sibling that's left. A sibling that's blown it. A sibling that's come back and the family has received them. Maybe they've come back numerous times. I mean, my my question of the text is, does he have a right to be mad? I mean, is, is this justified anger in verse 28? He refuses to go in. He's angry. We notice the love and the mercy of the father because the father leaves the party that he's hosting the father, again, is shaming himself to go out to the son who's refusing to come in. And he entreated him. He pleaded with him. If you have an NIV version, verse 28 says, but notice the response. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed you. I've done what's right. But yet you haven't given me the fattened calf. You haven't thrown me a party. Can you hear yourself in that text? I've been good. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I didn't leave home. He did. I didn't blow my money. He did. 
you're not treating me right. See, the, the, the problem with the older son is the older son has built this relationship with his father in a master-servant type of way. Instead of a father-servant, or instead of a father-son relationship, he has a master-servant relationship. And so what has happened is his system of justice is not being met here. And that's where the rub comes in. Wait a minute, this isn't fair. If you and I aren't careful, we'll build a relationship with God on a master-servant type of level instead of a father-son level or father-daughter level. And it can slip in on any one of us. It's very, very easy to do to get off the track and make your relationship with God master-servant. I mean, let me tell you, I, I struggle with this. Back November 16, 2010, to give you an example, is a date we'll always remember in our family because that was the day we received the diagnosis for our son James's autism. Now, we, we knew at that point James was three. There were some developmental things that were way off, and we had kind of researched some uh, things before we went into the doctor that day, so we weren't shocked by the autism diagnosis. We knew that's more than likely what it was. And so when we got the diagnosis, though, I wasn't mad at God for the diagnosis. I was mad at God for the way I perceived he was treating my wife. See, Sandra has an older sister who has Down syndrome. And I was upset that now, uh, here she is, who's had a sibling with special needs all of her life, and now she has to parent a child with special needs. And so I argued with God. I was mad at God. I was angry at God. And I said, this isn't fair. She's had disability in her family her whole life. And now, not only does she have a sister with disability, she has a child with disability. This is wrong. She's a good person. She reads her Bible. She prays. She's moral. She graduated from seminary. She even married a preacher. Come on. You and I can slip into this so easily. And how do you know when you're there? How do you know when you've built a relationship with God on a master-servant level? Well, just introduce suffering into it, and it'll expose it. See, this, isn't this where our faith goes wrong when the medical diagnosis comes back we weren't expecting? Do you hear yourself in your prayer life when the, when the job loss comes? When the situation of suffering comes you weren't expecting? God, this isn't fair. And what you and I will do is we will build our relationship with God based on our merit and not his mercy. And I want you to hear me on that. And you and I can build a relationship with God on our merit and not his mercy. And that's what the older brother in this story has done. He's built his relationship with his father on his merit, not the father's mercy. You think the Pharisees were having a problem with this at the moment? Yeah. And before you and I are too hard on the Pharisees in this story, because I'm sure they're really upset at this point in the, in the message, let's not be too hard on them. Because who are the Pharisees in the New Testament? I know that often we fall into the trap of reading our Bibles very pridefully, don't we? 
Have you ever thought of how pridefully you read the scriptures? You'll read about the Pharisees and go, oh, come on, guys, why don't you get this? Right? This is Jesus. Why are, you, why are you going against Jesus? Why are you going against this teaching? Come on, y'all should understand this. Who are the Pharisees? They were the religious people of the day. They were the temple goers. They were the tithers. They were the servants. They were the people who prayed. They were the morally upright people. They were the people who studied the scriptures. They were the people who they thought were right. But they were the people that were building their relationship with God based on their merit and not his mercy. And so now we've introduced into this story mercy. The father shows mercy on the younger son. See, mercy and grace are different. God's grace is God giving you something you don't deserve. Okay, that, that's grace. You know, there was, there was a joke in my house. Uh, every Christmas, my dad, when I was growing up, we would, you know, we would pass out presents. And we'd get all the presents around each other. And, and my dad, without fail, would always go, man, I don't deserve this many presents. I haven't had that good of a year. Now, I never said it out loud, but I always thought it. I wanted to go, yeah, dad, you're right. You didn't have that good of a year. You don't deserve all the presents. That's what we call grace, right? That's grace. You're getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is different. Mercy is you deserve judgment. You and I deserve judgment because of our sin. The younger son in the story deserved judgment, but the father showed him mercy. He withheld judgment and he brought forgiveness in. This is what Christ does for us on the cross. Christ takes our judgment upon himself, so God shows us mercy in forgiveness. So when mercy is injected in the story here, the religious go, whoa, that doesn't meet our system of justice. When you have that relationship with God on a master-servant type of level, when that happens in your life, you go, whoa, that doesn't meet our system of justice. Tim Keller, in his book called Prodigal God on this chapter, says, if like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper. He may be your example. He may even be your inspiration, but he's not your savior. You're serving as your own savior. I wonder how many older brother types we have this morning. I wonder how many of you as in, in your relationship with God have slipped into this master-servant relationship instead of a father son relationship, father-daughter type of relationship. Because what I want you to see is the incredible love of God in this story. The incredible love of God, not only toward the older son types, but also to the younger son types. Because notice what happens as he has given his speech to his father of all of the wrongs that the father has done against him. Notice what the father says in verse 31. And he said to him, son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and he is found. I love what the father comes back and shows him his love. Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. 
Literally, all the father has is, belongs to the older son. You remember what I said earlier in the message when the younger son asked for his inheritance, the father did what? He divided it among them. Two-thirds went to the older son. The responsibility of the older son in this Jewish custom would have been to take care of his mother if she was widowed, to take care of any daughters within the family. That's why he got two-thirds. A third went to the younger son. Ladies and gentlemen, what did he do with it? Blew it. It's gone. Who holds all the assets? Who holds all the money? It's the older son. Literally, all I have is yours. Literally, I'm always with you. Is this not a picture of the way Christ loves us? Christ, when you come to Jesus Christ, he says, I'm always with you. God deposits his Holy Spirit within you as a believer in Jesus. Romans 8 says, there's nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does God not say, all that I have is yours as a believer in Christ? I mean, Colossians 3 says we have the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says we have the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're always with Christ. Where? In heaven, our home, our dwelling place as believers. See, we see within this picture of the Father a perfect picture of Jesus Christ and what he does and how he loves us. And I love the way Jesus does this within the story. He puts a flawed older brother in the story for a reason. See, think with me at the three parts of this. There was a hundred sheep. One went missing. What did the shepherd do? He went out to look for the sheep. A woman had ten coins. One went missing. What did she do? She went out to search for the lost coin. Two sons. One went missing. Who searched for him? No one. Who should have searched for him? The older brother. But he didn't. He stayed in the field. No one looked for him. What does Christ do for us? Luke 19.10, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. See, Jesus is showing us a flawed older brother in the story to show us that you and I need a perfect older brother. He's showing us that we need someone to come in and redeem us. We need someone to search out for us. We need someone to show us forgiveness. He's also showing us this, that forgiveness comes at a cost that the older brother was not willing to pay. Forgiveness comes at a cost that the older brother was not willing to pay. See, you you need to always remember that forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Let me just, uh, on a very basic level, if I, if you said, hey, I want to, you know, borrow your, your phone here to, you know, take a picture, do something with, and I handed you my phone, and, and while you had my phone, you dropped my phone, and it cracked, and the screen cracked. You might hand it back to me and say, look, look, I'm so sorry I dropped your phone, it cracked, it broke, and I could say, you know what, don't worry about it, I, I forgive you, it's okay, don't, you know, accidents happen, and I forgive you, but, but wait a minute, now I have a cracked phone that's not working, and I forgave you, I said, oh, don't worry about it, I, it's, it's okay, but I went out and I had to buy another phone, who paid for your forgiveness? I did, right, I paid for the new phone, I paid for your forgiveness, Who's paying for the party? The little brother sure doesn't want to, does he? 
But whose wallet is this one coming out of? You can say it. No, not dad's. Who? The brother. Yeah, the dad gave all the money. You think older brother's really mad at this one? Whoa, wait up. I'm paying for this? No. But we need someone to pay for our forgiveness. We need someone to bear that cost. And that's what Jesus Christ does. When Christ left heaven to come to this earth, Jesus, on your behalf, emptied himself of all of his glory, left heaven to come to this earth to serve people like you and me. Mark 10, 45 says that he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Christ died on the cross, it was Jesus who was stripped. It was Jesus who was beaten. It was Jesus who was spit on. It was Jesus who was shamed so that we might be clothed in his righteousness. When Jesus was dying on the cross, it was God at that very moment that took all of our sin, my sin, your sin, and put it on Jesus and bore his wrath down upon Jesus so that God may extend his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, so you and I don't have that wrath anymore in our lives. See, this shows us our need for Christ. This shows us our need for a perfect older brother. And we see when Jesus died three days later, he came back again, never to die, so that he eternally beats death, eternally beats sin on our behalf. See, this morning, base your relationship with God, not on your merit, but on his mercy. Base your relationship with God and learn to celebrate that God will withhold his judgment for those that come to Christ. Learn to celebrate this morning when younger brother types come back. Learn to celebrate what Jesus celebrates within this story. A perfect Savior who dies for us. Learn to build that relationship with God, not at a master-servant level on your merit but because he is a merciful, good God that loves you. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org. give